matters of the mind. Are you looking for answers, ideas, or just want someone to listen to you so you can vent? Join Dr. Peter Sacco as he discusses what matters most, issues that surround the mind. He gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to issues involving anger, depression, addictions, fear, anxiety, relationships, sex, abuse, bullying, and everything concerning you. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week. And that would be me, Dr. Peter Andrusacco, and my co-host, Todd Miller, who is feeling a little bit under the weather today. Are you not, Todd? Yeah, it's one of those weird summer cold things. It's kind of bizarre. The weather's nice, and you get sick. Who knows what's going on? Yeah, I can kind of relate, and I'm sure many of you can relate to, as they would call, goldenrod season. The old uh, last uh, version of the allergy season, which first started out in the spring with pollen, dust mites, all that fun stuff, the mold, and then it got into the dandelion season, the black walnut season, uh, pollen season, you name it. Now we are in ragweed season, I forgot to leave that, uh, add that one, but now we are into the final straw. So hopefully... Possibly that's all that could be taught. Yeah, there's a ton of black walnuts out in the back, and now that you mention it, so who knows what's going on. So we've got a really cool show today. Uh, later on, as usual, we'll have our great guest, Alan Campbell, from the Center for Abuse Awareness, which is abusehurts.ca, which is Canadian, and there's the American affiliate, which is awesome. They do a lot of great things. And in a few bit, we will going to have a great guest, a Rutger Burke, who is an author, who brings up a really salient point in his new book, which we will get him to discuss in tremendous depth, which is The Power of Ten, A Practice of Engaging Your Voice of Wisdom, which is all about change. And he talks about at what point in your life, Todd, do you realize you have a choice that you can either go this way continually and do what you've been doing, basically living the life that Einstein used to talk about, doing the same thing repetitiously, and which is basically insanity and expecting a different outcome, or do you finally one day look in the mirror or get greeted by a snowstorm, uh, a storm while you're out sailing somewhere and say, oh my gosh, it's time to change. Yeah, and I think that comes with, uh, not necessarily all wisdom comes with age, but I'm sure a lot of it comes with age where you uh, realize that there is a fork in the road and there's not just one direction. And uh, you learn that there are multiple ways to solve a problem or to look at a situation and then proceed from there. And I was watching a little bit of one of his TEDx talks this morning, and it was very interesting. So I'm kind of hoping that he shares a little bit of his wisdom regarding that uh, later today when we get him on the show. You know what, Todd? It's kind of interesting because a lot of time people will take this approach, and it's usually the New Year's thing. Like, okay, it's a time for newness. For a new growth, new change, out with the old, in with the new, and they will wait for this date moment, kind of like, okay, the flipping of the calendar, it's a new year, so it's got to be better, it must be better, because the calendar says, hey, it's January 1st, the old year is gone, the old me is gone, but the problem is, no matter where you go, even in time and space, you bring you with you, because you are basically energy, you're a spirit, your soul. You know, the physical body gets dragged along everywhere, but yet you have your memories. And the key thing with that is a lot of people will make their choices based on the past. And I think, you know, this is what Rugger gets into in his book that you really don't have to be, I'm not going to say a victim because I don't like to use the word victim because too many people use it and use it as an escape. But you don't have to continually be a product of your past. You can live in the present and recreate yourself as you go along. Very cool. Well, we're going to talk more about that uh, between Dr. Sacco and I uh, right after the break. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio at talk-radio.ca. The music you'll hear on Out of the Blue will be jazz for the most part. No specific styles or genres. Every piece of music is handpicked to deliver quality performances. Out of the Blue can be heard on rtds.ca, live Mondays 1 to 3 p.m., and encore performances Tuesday to Friday, anytime on demand. It's the true spirit of jazz, a touch of everything and then some. Thanks for listening. I'm Larry Green.
I'm Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco, and do you have technological rage? Oh yeah, the new rage of anger. Download my new book today, Technological Rage, on my website, www.petersacco.com, and learn what technological rage is and how it is sweeping people today, leading to online dating anger, texting anger, and social online networking forums. Hmm, did you ever think you might get angry texting? Facebooking or online dating? Maybe you never thought it would happen to you, or maybe you know somebody that has this and you just need to understand it a little more. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. matters of the mind where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week and folks definitely keep the show ideas kind of guests you'd like to see subject matter topic matters area of interest coming uh facebook us tweet us send me private emails as you do whatever we definitely love the feedback and we'd like to reach out to you and definitely bring to you what is on your mind because that matters most to you and if it does to you it matters most to us so as we promised before, we got a tremendous guest today. Very excited to have him. Uh, love the new book, which he's got coming out. The title is fabulous, The Power of Ten, A Practice of Engaging Your Voice of Wisdom, which is going to be coming out October the 6th by Mill City Press. And our guest is Rugger Burke. How are you, Rugger? Good morning. I'm well. I'm very well. So Hello from Texas. You're, yeah, you're in Texas. You're in Dallas, Texas. So are you a football fan, by the way? <laughs> you know, if you live in Texas, it's hard not to uh, not to be touched by football. So I, I, I think I grew up playing football. Uh, regretfully, I've gotten away from it a bit. But it does change the mood of our city when the Cowboys win or lose. So that's what i got to ask you. You're, you're a boys fan then, eh? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, and we got probably many listeners that are going, ooh, ah, that sucks about Tony Romo. It does. It does. It's, it, you know, it's tough to watch anybody who, who uh, like or dislike. You never, like, you, you never want to see them down because of an engineer, engineer injury. You want to see them playing their best. So, Rutger, you work um, for a private investment firm, correct? I do. I do. It's called Satori Capital. Okay, and your, how, how should we put it, you've had, quote unquote, which led to changing your life, and then writing this book, which is a great, um, if you want to call it guide to life for people that are going to be purchasing it, and definitely read it, it is cool. Um, you came to, I guess, uh, how would you call it, an aha moment in your life, a point of realization in your life, if you want to call it, hey, um, that look in the mirror and say, I've got to change my life. I can make better choices in my life. Is that correct? And is that what inspired this? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I, I had sort of a confluence of events all about the same time. The, my mother was diagnosed with cancer and I was at the, you know, 10 years plus into a career as a lawyer and decided that that wasn't particularly fulfilling. And then during that period of time, uh, things started to unravel with my marriage. And that was really sort of the, the end of it. I was like, all three of those things together just said, this isn't the way to live life. So what is it that causes us to look at where we are in our in our lives, whether we reevaluate the path? And it, it always seems to be those you had an aha moment, but it was because of a, of a crisis. And it always seems like these crises in our lives cause us to reevaluate where we are. And I'm not sure why that happens. Is it because we feel intense sadness at the changes in lives, whether it's an ill parent or a career that's changing, or as you said, a marriage unraveling? No, I think it's a bit of a dose of reality. It's like we distract ourselves with so many things in our life, whether it's uh shopping or football or 
you know, uh, all sorts of habits that we have that, that tend to distract us, and then something jolts you awake. It could be, you know, for some people it's the birth of a child, and for others it's finding a number of candles sitting on your cake. Uh, for me, it was, I had to be slapped a little harder. And, and that's that's really what causes us to to reevaluate it. I guess it is like you said we're distracted by okay we're married we may be happily married or not and I've I've been there as well um and then we have you know in my case too I have two parents that are not well and I guess I'm at that point right now too where I'm reevaluating my part in this greater world and what is my contribution because you realize that life is very finite and and all of a sudden these changes kick you upside the head as some people have said and you go whoa wait a second i've got x number of years left i better get on my horse and and make a bigger difference that's right that's right i i I took the number of of years left in life and divide that or multiply that by 52 and went, wow, I've got like 2,500 weekends left of my life. You know? and, and if that was dollars, that, that would not be enough. <laughs> so one of the things with this book, Roger, you wrote it um, with, I guess, looking at it, discussing possible your own regrets or the ability in learning how to make good choices. So this is, it really is a trite question um, to ask, how do you know, or how would you get the message out there for somebody? How do you know what is a good choice and what is a bad choice? Because in the moment, oftentimes people only have if you want to call it the mental wherewithal or the capacities or even, you know, the experiences to make a choice right there in the moment. And they're doing it the best that they possibly can. Where when looking back a lot of times, all of us, the majority of us, okay, let's let's put it this way, the majority of us of us would say, um, yeah, if I knew then what I know now, hindsight's twenty twenty, I would have made a different choice. So because I'm going to have some listeners that are going to write me and then say, well, gee, when you look back on it, almost all of our choices are bad because we have to learn from them. Would you buy that? <laughs> you know, that, that that gets right to the heart of it, is how, how do you learn to make a good choice? And, and it's a practice, you know, ultimately. But I think that practice is founded upon, like, what is it you, you, you know, tap into all the sources of wisdom within you. It's not just your mind, but your body and your heart. You know, even when I've made decisions that felt good in the moment, uh, that was only part of me that felt good. The other parts of me were going, hmm, not such a good idea. (laughs) You know, uh, a simple example is when I, you know, if I just order something to eat, you know, my my body says, "Mm, I can't wait to taste that. But my my heart and mind say, hey, that's probably not the best choice to eat that. You know, pick, pick the healthier choice. You'll feel better later. So a bad choice feels really good in the moment, but, but, the rest of your your senses say not so good so we take that we have a takeaway from that bad decision where we decided to have you know a 24 ounce steak at midnight and then went to bed and of course we just tossed and turned all night how do we learn from that what's the process or the takeaway from a bad decision to make sure that we have the tools that next time we're presented with a similar decision, maybe a little bell goes off or that, that voice sitting on our shoulder says, hmm, remember last time we did this and we, uh, we didn't do so well with it? Yeah, you know, I think there's two pieces in there. One is the reflection, which you, you alluded to, which is why is it I don't feel good three or four hours later and can't sleep? Uh, and the answer is, you know, I, sh- I shouldn't have had the, the 24-ounce steak. But then it's later to sort of slow down that thought process, like to just put a little bit of a speed bump in there before you make that choice. You know, as you're as you're looking at your options, just whoop, hold on a second uh, to try to slow life down just a little bit. Sort of like in that movie, The Matrix, when the bullets, when when he's finally able to sort of focus and slow the bullets down, he can get out of the way. That's that's a really interesting way. I like that metaphor, Rucker. Um So I guess. How does one then go about learning to make a good choice? Um, and I, I guess it, it, I'm going to go right back to the, to the to the point I brought up before. 
how do you know what a good choice is? Is a good choice one that you make and you're confident in whatever it is? And you know, we've talked about eating late at night, um, the smaller stuff, but we're talking about bigger choices like, hey, I'm going to marry you. Um, or I'm going to ask this person to marry me, or I'm going to buy a house, or I'm going to switch from, you know, we have students that are saying, okay, I'm in one major now at university, and I ain't, I'm not liking it, but it's the more practical education that's going to guarantee me a job when I graduate, but it's still not what I want to do, but still I've got to pay all my, my loans and all that for school, and I'm going to make about $70,000 to start. So practically, it's a good choice, but impractically, it's a bad choice because I'm not living my heart's dream. So I'm gonna guess I'm putting you on the spot here, Riker. What discerns what a good choice is? Is it one where we have no regrets or we have the least amount of regrets towards it? And whatever we choose brings us a greater satisfaction. Ah, okay. Now we're to the heart of it. So it's, it's gonna be based upon what is most important to you. So if, you, if what is most important to you is success or love or the environment or whatever it may be, God, family, whatever, all of your choices then simply revolve around that. Like if you say family is the most important thing to me, then in your body, heart, and mind, you know what's the right choice to, to honor your family. If... For you, the, the choice is success. Like you, you want to either climb the ladder, make a bunch of money, whatever it is, then you know the choices that you need to make to move towards that success. And, and it just, it all of a sudden, it starts to click. So one of the things that I've always been accused of in my past is that I am cautious, a cautious decision maker. And some would say that I take too long to make a decision. How do you differentiate between being deliberate about a decision? And what I'm hearing is that when you're making these choices, you need to slow down a little bit. And like you said, put a put a speed bump in there. So you hit the speed bump and you go, whoa, hang on a second. I might need a bit more time to make this decision. So, I mean, is that a worry? Is that a worry that outwardly we are looking being looked at as being deliberate or being cautious. I mean, I always, I'm hyper aware of that now, hypersensitive to that, that some people view me as cautious versus I term it as being deliberate and going through the checklist and saying, yeah, this is a good choice for me. You know, that, that, that's, that's, I, I have that sense too. I'm, I am, I fall on the internal processor uh, side of things. So when, if people ask me a question, sometimes it takes uh, a little bit for me to get the output. But, you know, w w what happens is, is as you practice making the choices that, that uh, honor what it is that you're most interested in, again, going back to the family or, or God or success or, or whatever it is, by just by practicing it, it speeds it up. It's sort of like throwing a ball. Mm. Uh, you know, after you throw a ball or hit a ball uh, or something like that, at first it's very mechanical, but then after a while it just becomes a natural part of you. In fact, you probably not even think about it a whole lot when you throw a ball at somebody. You just go, oh, that person's over there, throw the ball that way, I catch the ball, etc. So you go from sort of a mechanical state, but by through practice, then all of a sudden it becomes sort of a natural state for you over time. Second nature, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very cool. Maybe even first nature. It's probably what you really want, like underneath it all. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, know, you look at that, and a lot of it is, I guess, Rucker, is, it's as people would say, it's a gut instinct. With that said, folks, we've got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have more with Rucker Burke as he discusses his great book and discerns, dissociates, distinguishes the, what an inquiry is versus an advocacy. We'll be right back. Practicing his alliteration. You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio, talk-radio.ca. Buying or selling a home, condo, or investment property may be one of the largest transactions you'll ever make. It's important to gather as much information as you can, and preferably from experienced, successful professionals. When it comes time to make your move, call the Mulholland Ross Real Estate Team with Keller Williams Real Estate Service at 416-230-8500 or visit www.realestatetoronto.com. Whether you're making your first move or selling your much-loved family home, the Mulholland Ross Team offers over 26 
years of real estate sales and service across the GTA. Listen every Sunday at 4 p.m. here on Radio That Doesn't Suck to hear the team share advice and information that will assist you with your personal wealth through real estate. Questions or topics you'd like to see covered? Email info at realestatetoronto.com or call the Mulholland Ross team at 416-230-8500. Welcome to my new book, Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths, which is not just a book about ghosts and haunted places, rather about history in the Niagara region. This book explores and uncovers parts of the Niagara region which are considered some of the richest in North American history and the most haunted. As a matter of fact, one of the bloodiest battles in North American history, the War of 1812, between the British and the Americans was fought here. And this year, the bicentennial year anniversary of the War of 1812 is covered in this book. This book explores most of the haunted places, legends that have existed from the 1800s right now to 2012. Each chapter covers a different type of landmark which not only educates readers on historical significances, but also entertains with anecdotal ghost stories and paranormal investigations. Join me in this book as we visit beds and breakfasts, ships and boats, trains, tunnels, museums, mansions, highways, forts, cemeteries, waterfalls, and many more, and see if the Niagara region is really haunted. Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths is now available at Indigo Chapters and online on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and visit our website, www.niagara'smosthaunted.com. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Mental Health Matters with Dr. Peter Sacco on radio that doesn't suck.com and rtds.ca. Well, hello there and welcome back to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week. And today we've got a great author, a great person who is Minding Matters on our show. His name is Riker Burke, who is the author of the book, The Power of Ten, A Practice of Engaging Your Voice of Wisdom, which is coming out October the 6th, which, oh my God, we're almost at the end of September, which is a really scary thought. Riker lives in Dallas, where he works for a private investment firm, loves to travel, and he is motorcycled across four continents. And what's really interesting, we never did ask you this, Riker, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Where on God's green earth are you going to find the best chocolate chip cookie? <laughs> uh, that is a quest. That is, if Don Quixote was alive today, I think that would be his quest. So uh, I've sampled them on all four continents in various forms, and uh, I think the ones that are homemade are best. So would you say you guys down there in Texas have pretty darn good cookies? <laughs> we have some we have some very good chocolate. Uh, a lot of it's imported though. <laughs> you don't know much about us Canadians up here the chocolate that we have. We got good stuff, but time to tell you, we have great maple syrup. We do, yes. And we get a lot of chocolate from our European brethren. They tend to bring it over from Switzerland and uh, you get all this Swiss chocolate, so yeah, good stuff. Mm-hmm. So Rucker, your book talks about and discusses an inquiry and advocacy. In layman's terms, I guess, what do they mean and why are they so important to your readers? Ah, well, inquiry is asking questions of meaning. So we have just general questions like, you know, what's for dinner, right? That we can kind of process very quickly. Okay, we're going to have Salisbury steak, we're going to have chicken, whatever it is. But a, a, a question that you want to live with for an extended period of time is a question of inquiry. So a question of, you know, how do I impact others? Like, what is my relationship to the world? How do I impact others? That's one that you can live with every day. And it'll continue to evolve over time as, as you evolve. Um, and then advocacy is, is then taking up some sort of stance around how you want to interface with the world, what it is you stand for. And so, like, how you impact others may be, I want to be kind. In other words, as I 
make my decisions or deliberate around how I'm going to live my life and how I'm going to be in relationship with other people, you're probably, you would like to choose something that's sort of your guidepost. And that is, at least for me, be kind. It's to, it's to evoke kindness in every kind of thought, word, and gesture. And together, the two of those things evoke your, your voice of wisdom, the part of you that helps you determine whether or not you are being kind as you interface with people. Hmm. Okay, so, Rucker, here's where we go a little deeper. Some people will look at this and go, okay, this is kind of like this transcendental meditation, power of positive thinking, law of attraction, secret sort of deal. At what point does your book put into practice what you are discussing and what you are teaching rather than it just being a perspective for living where a person says, okay, this Pollyanna, Pollyanna lifestyle, this great way of looking at things, I want to do it, I intend on doing it. What is your, I guess, shift in the book where a person brings it out of theory and is able to put it into practice? You know, each chapter, so the book is divided, being the power of 10, divided into 10 chapters. Each chapter has a practice section, um, and, and, and uh, hopefully it's a little bit helpful, but there's summaries for each of the chapters. Within that, there's typically some questions, and the questions are to help, you know, pull you into the idea of asking some of these questions yourself and then coming up with your own set of values or your own set of advocacies by which you want to live your life. And it's, it's fairly simple. Um, the book outlines a couple of advocacies you can use for yourself, or you can pick your own over time. And then just all you do is think about the choices you make each day and say to yourself, hmm, was I being a kind person when I said that? Was I being a kind person when I did that? And it just sort of, sort of boils it down to the simplest terms. You can reflect and say, was I being the kind of person I set out to be today? I think it was the great philosopher Homer Simpson who once said, patience, how long is that going to take? And I, 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 want to be, I want to be the bad guy here. I wanted to look at your book and say, okay, uh, Rugger, how long is this going to take me and when will I achieve this greatness that you're talking about in your book? And I say that because a lot of people take the opinion that these books that come out take too long and they're going to ask me to do this and I need to spend four hours a day doing that. Um, you, you've obviously taken this practice and, and distilled it down to, like you said, asking questions in each, each chapter so you're making progress. Um, how, how do you respond to people that say, you know, these wholesale changes will take too long? Well, it, it depends on what you want for your life. You know, you're, if, if you want greatness in your life, it's, it's going to be a commitment, a long-term commitment. So I, I can't say this is going to be an easy process to be honest. So you're making a valid point. Um, what I can say is each day gets better. You know, that each day that you try to improve your life, your life starts to improve. It's, they sort of go hand in hand. And so if you create sort of an intentional way of living, then each day you become a little bit, uh, you move a little bit closer towards whatever it is you seek. In other words, if you seek success in life, you can't just wake up and say, well, you know, tomorrow I'd like to have a million dollars, and then a million dollars shows up. It just doesn't work that way. And so it's going to take a commitment, and you're going to have to commit to something to make that happen. And so if you want a million dollars, you're going to have to commit to working the extra hour each day or working a little smarter each day or uh, something like that to make it happen. It just doesn't show up overnight. As Dr. Sacco was alluding to, like the law of attraction, you know, the, the first part of the battle is changing your mindset. But then there is some rolling up the sleeves and getting the work done because, um, yes, your, your mindset frames you for success, but you still need to do some work to get there. So I would say to people that, that look at this, you know, yes, you can put on a three-piece suit. It doesn't mean that you're a banker on Wall Street. It means that you're ready for success. Now go out and, and, and grab it. That's perfect, perfect, perfect. You know, this, what this does is it gives you a template to, to live life. 
um, how you choose to live it is going to be, you know, up to you. So, Rucker, let me ask you, within your book, you teach and you cover um, an area on leadership. I guess the question I would ask you then is, in order to be a good leader, do you think most people first have to learn to lead their own lives? And, and I'm not putting this in a facetious or yet sarcastic way, but a lot of people um, looking at this, because you say they're not naturally born leaders, uh, you know, that a few may be great leaders uh, born that way, but most, uh, they need to learn to lead. And would you say that these good leaders first learn to lead their own lives in a, in a productive manner, correct? Is that where you were going with that? Boy, you, you just hit it right on the head. I, I probably should have written that. If, <laughs> if, there, if there, a version two comes out, I'm, I'm going to need to quote you. Uh, spot on. Look, you know, if you are if you, if you are interfacing with somebody who who wants to be a leader, look at their own life. If they've got their own life in order, uh, if they can't man- if you can't manage your own life, if you want to be a leader, uh, you got to first manage your own life. You've got to do all the things. Uh, that you would want to see in a leader. I mean, the, the most important thing a leader does is be a role model for the people around them. And then the second most important thing they do is, is to help elevate the lives of those around them by making them better people. So if you're not in a position to help others, then, then you're not really in a position to lead. You know, what's really funny, Rugger, and it goes back to a movie I saw eons ago called School for Scoundrels starring Billy Bob Thornton. And I love Billy Bob. He is just a great actor and he makes me laugh. And he's leading a night school course for people, for guys, trying to build self-confidence, self-esteem, and then basically to go get the women you want. And I remember there's one part in it where he says, how many of you guys all own like a self-help book, you know? So from some of the, the the main guys out there that teach you about self-help and they're all put their hands up and he says throw them away because if you're in my class you don't know how you know basically it's a bunch of people that need help themselves reading self-help books helping one another which is chaos and I always found that very profound because a lot of times you got to ask yourself if a person's buying these books and the book is educating them in such a way but they're processing it based on their past way of thinking. How effective is it for them? <laughs> you know that that is a that is a great frame, uh, terrific movie. And and you're right. You know, if you are thinking using the old paradigm of, you know, what attracted you to the self help book is probably not the thing that's going to propel you to being the, the greatness that you want. Um, and that that was an important distinction to me in in putting down something. Uh, to distribute or to, to, to share with people, which is there's, there's not a secret formula in here. This is a, hey, you're going to have to do a little work on your own, but it's really about helping you find out the things that are most important to you in your life and then helping you sort of move towards those by making the right choices to, to bring that to life. You know, and as we've been sort of discussing, life is finite, and we, as far as I know, we, we get one go around on this orb, and whatever happens after that, I mean, is is in someone else's hands. But would you would you recommend this book to to new managers, to people that are, um, as we were sort of alluding to, not everyone has their stuff together, and and it's hard to be a leader when you don't have your life together. But for someone that's looking at you know advancing in in the corporate world, does this make good sense to read this and, and sort of be grounded before you move on? You know, that, that, was, that was part of the idea was it was the book I wish somebody had given me. Um, I'll tell a terrible story on myself, which is, you know, I, I, I ran a law firm for more than a decade. And, uh, you know, it, it was, I didn't really know how to lead. All I knew was to direct, which isn't leading. You know, that's pushing and cajoling and everything else instead of instead of help pulling people forward right and and so it was just I was just not very good at it I wasn't very good to people I was more of you know command and control as opposed to you know nurture and trying to put people in positions to succeed and so in reflecting upon that I thought well this is the book that I wish somebody had given me um, prior to that point in time and so that that's 
part of what came out of it. And I would think, just to, to jump in here for a second, I would think, too, it makes you more empathetic that other people are on the same journey and, and they have things that are important to them. And a lot of great managers realize that. They realize that everybody has things that they are trying to do with their lives, and it means more to them than just the bottom line of the company. That, that's right. You know, uh, profits and success are really a function of doing all the other things right, which is treating the people around you um, in a way that, that brings them to life and, and creates a, a relationship with them that's, that makes them feel alive or makes them feel bigger than themselves. That's, that's your goal as a leader or a manager. And, you know, if, if you can do that, then, then the success and, and profits and everything else follow. Absolutely. No doubt about that, Rucker. So before we let you go, and by the way, our guest is Rugger Burke, who is the author of The Power of Ten, A Practice of Engaging Your Voice of Wisdom, which is coming out October the 6th, which is, gosh, just over a week and a half away by Mill City Press. So Rugger, thank you so much for joining us. But before we let you go, where can folks find the book, uh, learn more about you, and anything else you would like to tell our listeners? Ah, well, the book will be available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and through uh, all the independent booksellers. So it should have a, a pretty good distribution. Uh, and I think it's on Apple iBooks as well. So I think it should, it should be in digital formats because I know a lot of people like to read things. I do, uh, in part, like to read things on, on a tablet. And uh, for information about me, you know, there's, there's some, there should be some links attached to the, the book ordering process, like on Amazon or whatever else, that give a little background and so forth. And I'm pretty easy to find. I think, I think my name, uh, with the name Rugger, there's not too many of us out there. And, and so I show up on LinkedIn or, or there's a book page, I think, set up for the book as well. I saw you on uh, uh, TEDx this morning. I was watching one of your talks on TEDx earlier this morning. It was uh, ah. very powerful. Ah, wonderful. Excellent, Rugger. Thank you so much for joining us, and we wish you the greatest of success with your book. And also, hopefully you do find that tremendous, exceptional chocolate chip cookie. I'm going with triple chocolate, buddy. That's one I would pick. Oh, can it have some oatmeal in it? Oh, you, you definitely know. A way to a guy's heart. <laughs> This has been a real, a real pleasure to spend time with you both. Thank you so much for, for allowing me to be on your show. We Thanks have, so much. Yes, we've appreciated it as well and uh, showing tremendous gratitude for your spending time with us this morning. More Matters of the Mind right around the corner. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Welcome back to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week. And since today is a show about choices, we're going to ask our great guest, our weekly guest, Ellen Campbell, who is our favorite CEO and founder of the Canadian Centre for <laughs> Abuse Awareness. Hello, Ellen. How are you today? Hi. Thanks. I'm glad I'm your favorite CEO of CCAA since I'm the only one. Oh, you're our favorite CEO of all time. Yes. Oh, there you go. That's even better. <laughs> Okay, good morning. Good morning, Alan. So we're, what we're doing, we we were talking, we had a really uh, interesting guest, uh, Rucker Burke, who is an author of a great book that he's got coming out on awareness and choices that individuals make, and the whole aha moment, waking up one day and thinking, hey, I've got to make a change in my life. So I guess I want to put this out your way then, because you've had uh, a very wise and experienced background, and you now teach this to folks coming through the Center for Abuse Awareness. I guess, do you guys help people make better choices or learn to make better choices through the Center uh, for Abuse Awareness? And Well, yeah, I hope we do, uh, Peter. Um, it's interesting when you talk about choices because I remember the choice that I made that probably saved my life was lining up for my pills at the Northwestern General Hospital in the psych ward because I was on suicide watch. And I remember lining up for my pills 
and looking around at the other people lining up for their pills. And it was like a scene from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. You know, everybody was like vegetables. They had no life. Their faces were dead. Their whole countenance was dead. And it was an aha moment for me where I made a choice at that point. And I said, oh, my gosh, if I don't fight back, I'm going to end up like one of them. And I made a choice that I think saved my life because I could have chosen to just get more pills and more drugs and stay in that that place of the victim. But there was something in me that said, I have to make a choice now. And it's such a great topic because we are a result of our choices. And a lot of the choices I made got me into the mess I was in. But the reality is I have the I have the choice. I, I have the control over what choices I make. And I have to take responsibility. And there were consequences to the choices I made. But and I accepted the consequences. But the rewards have been amazing. So I guess let me ask you this then, Ellen, to follow it up. You see a whole diversity of individuals coming through the Center for Abuse Awareness or, or coming mm-hmm. in contact and some of these folks, no doubt, are absolutely in states of their lives where they're still hurting badly. And some yeah. of them are reaching out to you. You're mm-hmm. doing the best that you can, but they're still going back to their old ways. At what point do you guys even try to intervene and say, okay, <laughs> what you guys are doing ain't working. At some point, you've got to literally stop or your life is just going to continually spiral downwards. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you, you obviously have to be very gentle with them. And as you know, Peter... Lots of times we're dealing with the drugs. You know, people are heavily medicated lots of times. They're alcoholic on, you know, a lot of heavy medication. So you're kind of talking to the drug, as you know. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you realize that um, no amount of talk is going to really get through. Um, but sometimes, you know, there's power in your testimony. And I sometimes give my testimony in that there's there are choices. And what we really try to do here is direct them to the help they need. I mean, we can't do it all here, but there's amazing resources out there, um, probably even some of your books, that can start people thinking. It's to just shift their, it's to get them to shift their thinking, even a, a little bit, that they don't have to be like this, that they don't have to stay in this place. But sometimes, you know, people are so hurting and so broken that I don't know how much they hear, but if you can just get them to take that next step to go see somebody and get some help, and that's what I did. I mean, I didn't leave the hospital and just thought, okay, I'm going to be fine. I left the hospital. I got into therapy right away to deal with why I made the choices I did. And, you know, I like what Dr. Phil says, is how are your choices working for you so far? Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of trying to get them to that place that what they're doing isn't working. So you're getting them to, uh, you're keeping them safe until they get to that point where they can be introspective and look inside and see what's not working for them. Because as you said, I think we've all been in that situation. I certainly have where I've talked to someone who's in a, in a deep depression, being bipolar, uh, addicted to something, and they just, it's not sinking in. And I think you just have to keep them safe, keep talking mm-hmm. to them, keep them um, uh, ready to receive that aha moment that you had while you were waiting for your pills. Exactly. And trying to get them to the help. We do not do frontline counseling ourselves here. We refer. Right. We, you know, so... So there's a lot of help out there. Um, and, and getting, I think one of the other really, really important things is don't be isolated. Uh, if anything, I try, like I get, for instance, men that may call and disclose for the first time in their lives that they were sexually abused as boys. The number one thing I try to do with them is get them lined up with another guy that has gone through it. Somebody from one of our support groups in Toronto. And just to come alongside that even he's got someone to phone, even if he doesn't meet him, he's just got somebody that's been through it. Because I remember thinking, if I could just find one other person that's gone through this and they made it, then that's going to really help me. And I did. 
And so I think one of the biggest problems people that are in this situation have is they're so isolated. And of course, you know what that does, you just feed on your own pain and negative thoughts. So go to a group, go, there's lots of support groups out there, even if it's not a therapeutic specific group, go to some support group so you are not isolated. Absolutely. And I think that's mm -hmm. one of the worst things is, is when a person huh, with a situation lives with themselves constantly, you know, the mind never shuts itself down. And sometimes being around others, uh, it interrupts the thought process, which is kind of a cognitive behavioral therapy in itself. So, Ellen, since we had you last on, I've had some queries about the men's conference that you have up and coming for abused men. Um, mm -hmm. If you can share a little insight in that, and I had one lady ask, are you going to be doing one anytime soon for women? Well, uh, for women that have been abused, um, yeah. or for women that are living with men that have been abused? I guess either hmm. or. Okay. Well, certainly the men's conference we're doing, um, it's in October. Uh, gosh, I, I think the end of October. Isn't that terrible? I can't, got the, I can't remember the exact date. But if people go on abusehurt.ca, the front page is all the information on the conference. But one day is for professionals, but the other two days is for the victims and their families. So certainly um, women that have, are, you know, have a man in their family, whether it's a husband or a brother or a father, whatever it is, absolutely would get support for that. We don't have any plans coming up for a specific women's conference. Um, there, there are lots of times, there, there seems to be more things for women than men. But that's a good point. I'll have to uh, I have to look around and see what's happening. If not, maybe we'll have to do something specific for women. But for sure, this is not just for men only. It's for family members or support people for the men. And so once again, it's, you know, because some people will go, well, men, what are we thinking here? Like late 30-somethings to 60-somethings, or is it right across the board age-wise? It's, it's right across the board, but... As you know, Peter, a lot of the life breakdown happens, you know, 30s, 40s. That's when all the coping skills don't work anymore and you, you start to have a, you know, a breakdown or it starts to come surface. So I would say 30s to 40s seems to be the age where it, it really kind of comes to a head. But it could be, you know, it could be young, you know, teenage boys in school, you know, it, it's any kind of, any kind of abuse, although... A lot of it is around childhood sexual abuse. I mean, abuse is abuse, as you know, Peter. So it would apply to anybody that's gone through this or their family members. As we were talking to our prior guest, he said it took it took some major life changes, some curveballs like a marriage breakdown for him to sort of reevaluate and figure out what was going right and wrong in his life. And, uh, and I'm sure that's the same way with, with a lot of people that you that come to you is they've had some sort of uh, a job loss or something, and they've realized there's more going on here than just me losing my job. Absolutely. I mean, I came to mind when my marriage fell apart. And then I, I went to the therapist originally, honestly, to fix my husband. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I thought he had the problem. Well, he did. <laughs> but, you know, you're as healthy as your partner. Yeah. What was it in me that made me pick the same people all the time? So, yeah, it usually is some kind of life crisis that does it. So hopefully people that are listening might come and get some information before their life gets to a crisis point. I'm hoping that this will be, you know, a lot of awareness as well. And as you know, it's, it's cyclical. You know, it's nice to be able to break the family, you know, curse almost you know it goes on in family so you can break the cycle I, my, I've broken it in my family and my daughter got help and so it's broken in our family absolutely Ellen and it's all about at the end of the day choices you're the one who have to live with yourself you're the one who decides mm -hmm. where your life goes so at the end of the day um, and you guys were a great organization which in a lot of ways teaches self-efficacy and empowerment Ellen we got to let you go we're out of time okay. And Thanks, uh, thank Peter. you so much for joining us again. And we'll have you back as usual next week, same time. Wonderful. Same thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Bye.
Uh, and I just want to mention before we go to break, there's a good book that I read called The Betrayal Bond, Breaking Free of Exploitive Relationships by Patrick Carnes, Ph.D. came out many years ago, but uh, it's a great tool for those people that find themselves in abusive relationships and how to break that cycle as as uh, as she was saying, you know, just making sure you don't attract the same people over and over again. Absolutely. And if it's going to be, it's got to be up to you. You're the one who's got to make the difference in your life. Yeah. More matters of the mind right around the corner. Stay tuned. of the mind where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week and as i said at the beginning of the show please keep your email uh texts tweets uh facebook messages coming with show ideas and potential guests you would like to see or hear on our show and we will do our best to accommodate that and can't reiterate enough, folks. Life is all about choices. You only get one bite at the apple. So make it a huge, big bite because life is too fast. Life passes you by, and guess what? Just seems like yesterday, Todd, you and I were talking. We were going, thank God it's almost spring. And now guess what? It's fall. Yeah, yeah. This uh, year is going by pretty quickly. And I just want to add that you do a, a wonderful job of of choosing the guests that we have on each week and you know sometimes you approach them and sometimes they come out of the blue which is amazing but we'd really like to hear from you the listeners if there are any people you think we should have on this show or uh, or you've got a topic for uh, an upcoming show by all means get in touch with us we are on here every wednesday at 8 p.m on listen up talk radio and like dr sacco said reach out to us through facebook email website whatever we will catch you right back here next week on talk-radio.ca You've been listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco. Get in touch with him on his website, petersacco.com, or find his contact page on Listen Up at talk-radio.ca. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash listenuptalkradio, on Twitter at listenuptalk. Thanks for listening and sharing our posts. We'll catch you next week. And all I